The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Last night, Irish citizens were among those evacuated from Sudan in a Spanish operation as efforts continued to evacuate diplomats and Irish civilians. A team of Irish special forces and diplomats is being sent to Sudan to assist Irish people in leaving that country, and that's in response to the worsening violence there. They will form jointly an emergency consular assistance team. Now, for more on this, I'm joined by Independent TD, former Army Ranger and a member of the Oireachtas Foreign Affairs Committee, Carl Berry. Carl, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Now, you're one of the few people in Doylearn who knows what it's like to be in special forces. What is your reflection on 12 people being sent off to Sudan or Djibouti to help with the effort? Yeah, so I think in general terms, on principle, it's a, it's a very positive development and it's it's very reassuring to know that we have diplomats and soldiers of such high quality with, with the right skill set and the right mindset to put off a, an operation like this in a very kinetic environment. So that's the, that's the good stuff. Uh, my concern is that the 12 is a very small number and it's not sufficient to carry out this type of operation. It'd be like telling a rugby team, we know you're supposed to have 15 players on the pitch and probably 15 on the bench, um, but you have to make do with 12. And it's not the way through business. I think our troops and our citizens who are stuck in the desert in Sudan deserve better than this. Can you explain what is it they would do? I, 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 you know, I hear the news that we're going to send 12 special forces out and they uh, have a fantastic skill set. But what is the operation? I mean, what precisely are they going to do on the ground? Yeah, just a great question. So the diplomats, first of all, would be processing um, the Irish uh, personnel coming in. So these are the, the civilians and making sure... Making that sure that they have an entitlement to be rescued by us. Absolutely. Well, but Even pa- though the Spanish rescued 50 of us. Yeah, well, checking passports, checking visas and just making sure that the, the counsellor assistance is there. The military side is a little bit more complex. So there's a multitude of, of roles. First of all, um, there'll be a paramedic with the team. So from a medical perspective, they'll be providing medical support. Also from a communications point of view, obviously there's a lot of eavesdropping going on internationally so there's encrypted uh, means of communication back to Dublin uh, liaison is so important particularly when you're dealing with military assets on the ground in Djibouti so soldiers have their own language soldiers talk best to soldiers just like journalists or, or broadcasters speak uh, well with their peers as well but the, la- the last one is the most important that's the intervention role so there'll be small teams that could pair up with a I guess a foreign helicopter or a foreign uh, aircraft and actually cross the border into Sudan and link up with some Irish civilians on the ground and extract them safety back to Djibouti. So they're, they're the, the roles they'll be doing. Mm. As you say, it seems like an awful lot of roles for just a dozen people. Yeah, too much. And militarily, I mean, you wouldn't even go to Wicklow with, with 12 troops. It doesn't have the critical mass to be self-sustaining. So, I mean, ideally, you should be looking at three times the number, something around platoon strength, maybe six, uh, sorry, maybe 30 with an additional six in headquarters. So about 36 would be appropriate. 12 is, it, it's basically transferring the risk um, from the political establishment and the legal establishment in Ireland, in Ireland, uh, onto the soldiers uh, out in Djibouti and onto the civilians in the desert, and that's not that's not good practice. Now, what uh, have you learned about the conditions on the ground? I mean, effectively, we have a civil war going on in Sudan. Yeah, absolutely. And again, my only source of information are open source, but we, we do effectively have a civil war. That's probably going to slide into more serious conflict over the next coming days and weeks. There's major power play between the person who's a, or the general who was in charge of the Transitional Council and his deputy. So they're going to slug it out, basically, to see who basically gets control of the 
presidential palace in Khartoum. It's very, very difficult to see how that's going to play out. Also, you have a lot of external actors like Russia and other countries trying to interfere as well in, in Sudan and trying to cause as much difficulty as possible. So um, there's a lot, lot to play for and it's only going to get worse over the coming days and weeks. Um, when you suggest they want to cause as much difficulty as possible, why? Well, to cause much difficulty they as do. possible. They do what they do. But I mean, why would they not let it play out and let the Sudanese sort themselves out? Yeah, so it's in some countries' interests to foment as much uh, unrest as possible. So the Russians are very keen to take over the port called uh, Port Sudan. It's on the Red Sea. It's a very, very strategic location. The Americans and the French have a, a, a port called near, near Djibouti or in Djibouti, but the Russians have nothing. Um, so they're very, very keen to get in there and expand their influence. So I've no doubt they've taken sides in relation to which side of the civil war they want to be on and they're using that to their, to their maximum advantage. So the, they are gambling on who's going to win, who then will be uh, well disposed towards them. Mm, absolutely. So it's not just a gamble that they'll pick sides and they'll support the side that they, they want to They try to win. make sure yeah. they win. Yeah, so it'll be an each way bet, basically, and uh, they'll make sure they win. Yeah. Now, the, the number we have sent over, 12, we're told this is limited by, um, I suppose we've shackled ourselves. We need to send more than a dozen. We need to have UN approval. But that was something that we put in place, was it not? Yes. So basically, I listened to the Tanisha this morning, uh, Morning Ireland, and uh, I actually be in full agreement uh, with the Tanisha that he says that the triple lock doesn't apply here, and because it's a humanitarian uh, evacuation operation. So the Defence Act 2006 is very, very clear. There's a number of uh, activities that we can deploy our troops overseas uh, to that does not require triple lock to be invoked, and they're kind of sporting events, exercises, ceremonial duties, and he says evacuation, humanitarian operations. And so, so this is not either peace enforcing or peacekeeping and we do both nowadays it used to be only peacekeeping now we are also mandated i think to do peace enforcing um it's something else therefore we could send over a platoon yeah that's according to tanisha and I, I agree with him so this is a sovereign activity of a sovereign country like ireland looking after its citizens uh, who are in difficulty uh, abroad so but uh, i'm not sure if that's <laughs> If people further down the food chain are, are aware of that, this, this seems to have been an, an invention of an, a, an artificial barrier or blockage that put a ceiling of 12 on this and it's, it's completely unnecessary and I think it should be lifted. Now, when you say people further down the food chain, are you talking, uh, you know, someone official in the Department of Defence or are you talking about the military? Um, we don't know. Um, so basically there'll be Department of Defence officials, Department of Foreign Affairs officials and people in uniform staffing this and coming up with, with proposals for the senior decision makers. We don't know where the blockage is, but I think the Tonish's comments this morning are quite interesting and, and hopefully that will remove the blockage later on today. Now, the, the question of how they'll get there, how they'll get people out, um, we are depending on the availability of aircraft, not our aircraft, but somebody else's aircraft. So how does all of that work? Yeah, it, it works very, very difficultly, really. So it's already a, a complex uh, operation, but not having Ireland not having its own sovereign aircraft as an additional layer of complexity that we but can we, do without. We're never going to have a C-17, are we? I mean, we're not going to buy one of those. Well, the, the, or should we? Well, we could, but uh, basically in two years' time, a, a new aircraft is, is about to arrive. So $68 million was signed in a contract just before Christmas, about four months ago. So it's an Airbus C295, and that'll be here. How big is that? 
it can take about 50 people, 50 to 70 people plus kids. So we've never had that capability before, but in two years' time, uh, we'd be in a good place. But unfortunately, between now and then, we've very, very limited capability. Mm. So, Even th- so, if you've got to evacuate a, a few hundred people uh, from any particular zone of conflict, you're going to have to make a few hops. Now, you're not taking them all the way home to Ireland. You might be just popping them off at the nearest commuter airport so they can actually fly home safely on regular airlines. But you're talking about a military aircraft going in and doing the the, the heavy lifting, if you like, out of the conflict zone. Yeah, precisely. And that's really what Djibouti is about. It's an evacuation hub. So you have the the ruggedized military aircraft flying into Sudan, landing on unprepared airstrips, picking up the people, flying them back to the staging point in Djibouti where they'd be cross-decked into a normal commercial airliner and flown back home but it is a real deficiency from Ireland's point of view so yes there's a legislation issue that needs to be clarified but the logistics issue is absolutely paramount because not only can Ireland not reach its citizens in difficulty abroad we, we literally can't get our troops off this island which is a staggering uh, admission, really, in, in 2023, particularly with the budget surplus we have and the projections for the future. So uh, we, we have done various exercises with uh, EU groups and uh, we've even done some uh, cooperation with NATO on various tasks. What will happen when the guys arrive on the ground? I mean, who do they call? What do, I, I'm trying to get a handle on the a- absolute uh, operational activity that they will embark upon when they land in Djibouti. Yeah, so my understanding, again, just from open source information, is a small advance party, maybe of two or three people, have just arrived in Djibouti in the last few hours. And they'll present themselves to the, to the French person in charge of the Djibouti airbase and say, look, we're here from Ireland. Um, we would like to obviously link up with the 50 Irish uh, evacuees that came out last night and they'll start processing them immediately. And then the military people, the two military Irish people, will get to work straight away, uh, forming liaisons, falling, uh, you know, just disgusting with their counterparts and basically trying to identify who they already know from previous exercises, which is really important, and previous overseas operations. So the two Irish people out there will have multiple overseas trips under their belt. They know Africa very, very well and they can take it from there. Okay, so they'll be hoping to see some friendly face um, greeting them from whatever EU country or whatever other forces they may have liaised with over the years. That's yeah. what they're hoping for. Yeah, absolutely. And if they can come across a friendly face, which would be unlikely, and they can start a new relationship, basically. It's really important to have uh, boots on the ground so you can liaise at a local level. That's that's critical. Some of the text says, so here we go again. Our failure over decades to resource our defence forces properly means we have to beg our neighbours to extract Irish citizens from Sudan. It's pathetic and embarrassing. Another one, 12 troops purely for optics. In reality, they'll be getting in the way. I bet my wages the heavy lifting will be done by the French. Twelve Irish troops carrying guns without any lift or intelligence capability are good for very little. They'll be merely looking on. That's from Kevin. Mm, yeah, and is that it, as effectively it is a issue. So not having strategic airlift, uh, I've described it before as it's like being a farmer without a tractor or a jockey without a horse. It is that fundamental. And the fact that Ireland, which is a major hub for aviation in the world, I mean, we've got Ryanair, we've got Aer Lingus, we have a huge leasing hub here right in this island, but we have no aircraft to move our military sovereign personnel uh, off this island. That's a, mm. a sad indictment. Yes, there's going to be progress in two years' time, but it's amazing it's taken but, us But even years that progress, you know, to have one uh, Airbus that can carry 50 people and uh, some payload, uh, it's fairly pathetic really compared to what the French or the Brits or could mount. I mean, we are talking about a population in the Republic of five million people plus a little bit more and a, a defence forces that doesn't even mirror that population in terms of its capability and resources. I mean, we'd never be able to mount a, a convincing operation on our own into Sudan. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree entirely. And it just shows how bad things have been for the last hundred years. So we really need to up our game from that perspective. And we should be in a position, we're a rich country. We should be in a position to be able to offer other European countries spare seats on our aircraft, not to be hitchhiking our way, which is what's happening, to try to get to Sudan and begging for seats to get our people out. It reflects very poorly on the country and it's causing enormous reputational damage. Yeah. And if you were to be the, the head of that uh, 12, the, the, the dirty dozen going to the 12 to apostles, <laughs> the 12 apostles uh, I mean, would you find the whole thing daunting, you know, arriving there, trying to liaise with people, you know, basically with your hand out? Yeah, absolutely. It's not the way to, to go on an operation. It's, it's been done in a very piecemeal and ad hoc way. But again, the 12 people heading out there, I mean, they would be very, very resourceful people. And they've spent the last probably 20 years of their career uh, dealing with, with situations like that, living uh, off a shoestring. And they'd be very, very resourceful to strike up relationships and make the most of the, the less than ideal circumstances mm. they find themselves in. A couple more texts. I thought we were getting a lift from the Brits, uh, says one. Another one, this is ridiculous for 2023 Ireland. Why can't we use the Royal Air Force, our closest neighbour and our friend. We all know who would help Ireland without a blink if a disaster happened in Ireland or if we were invaded. I 100% agree. We shouldn't have to rely on our partners across the European Union, but under these circumstances, yeah, we have to. And uh, my understanding is that the uh, Ireland is reaching out to like-minded countries, France, Germany, Holland and the UK, to beg for seats to fly our troops out to Sudan. So it's not the way to do business. Cahal Berry, Independent DD, former Army Ranger and member of the Oireachtas Foreign Affairs and Defence Committee. Cahal, thank you very much for joining us in studio. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.